0: Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. I'd like to put you through a hypothetical situation. You're driving in your car, and you're speeding through a residential area. You're doing 100 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. And you lose control of the car and you crash into a tree. The airbags deploy, there's broken glass everywhere, but amazingly, nobody got hurt. And so you unbuckle your seatbelt, you stumble out of the car. And before you know it, a police officer has arrived on the scene and he administers a breathalyzer test which discovers that your blood alcohol level is way beyond the legal limit. Bottom line is, you were drunk driving, and you totaled your car. And it's your own fault. (laughs) There's nobody to blame but you. You were the one who chose to drink. You were the one who chose to get behind the wheel. It's not like that tree just jumped out of nowhere. You wrapped your car around that tree, and you've got no one to blame but yourself, and now it's just you and the police officer, and he explains to you that if he were to file charges, you'd be looking at mandatory jail time, a massive fine, and the suspension of your license for a year. What would be the right thing for the officer to do in this moment? Your fate now rests in his hands. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a similar story. It was about a young man who didn't crash a car, he crashed his life. He made a lot of really poor choices that left him hungry, lonely, and broke. And as he stood in the wreckage of his life's choices, he realized he only had one option. He needed to come back to his father. But would his father receive him? His fate rested solely in the Father's hands. Today we continue with part three of a message series where we've been focusing on a powerful story that Jesus told called the parable of the prodigal son. And it's located in the New Testament gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, why don't you make your way over to Luke 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'll display the verses up here on the screen. And in previous weeks, we looked at the life of the younger son. Today, our focus is going to be on the father. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. Let's read together. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons... And the younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me." And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he took, uh, gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That phrase reckless living is where we get our English word prodigal. This young man was living a prodigal lifestyle. He, he hit up his father for an advance payment on his inheritance, and as soon as he got it, he ran out the door and he blew it all away, living a party lifestyle. And he was about to get a hard lesson in life that eventually the party always ends. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is what we call rock bottom. Driven by hunger and desperation, he he hires himself out to a foreign citizen, and the only job he could find is living in a pigsty and tending to these pigs. Now, I've never spent much time around pigs, I grew up in the city, so my only exposure to pigs is when they came cooked on my plate. Uh, But I went to college in the Midwest, and it wasn't unusual to drive for miles and miles and miles on the highway and see nothing but farmland. And I remember one time I was in a car with a bunch of college buddies, and I smelled something that was all kinds of nasty. I mean, I'm gagging, I'm putting my shirt over my nose, like, what is that smell? You know, when you're in a car full of college guys, there's any number of possibilities as to what that smell could be, (laughs) but one of the guys who was from that area, he knew exactly what it was. He goes, oh, that's a pig farm. I'm like, oh, man, that thing smelled so bad from miles away just passing on the highway. I can't imagine what it smelled like being up close, and this is a powerful picture that Jesus paints in this story. That this young man left his father's house of abundance and provision and found himself in a place of scarcity and stench. And this is what happens when we tell God, I can run my life better than you. And we shove him out of the driver's seat and we take the wheel. And what happens? We end up crashing the car. Let's continue to read verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. This was the moment when the young man's hardened heart became humbled. And this is exactly what he needed. He needed to be in a place where he had a, an, 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 an empty belly sitting in the mud of a smelly pigsty to finally come to the conclusion that i got to make a change. And his comeback began. So his plan was to go return home and beg for a job. It was a Hail Mary, but it was better than what he was living. At this point in time, his fate rested solely in the hands of his father. But would the father even take him back? Would the father even receive him? Here's how the father responded. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father in this story is a representation of our heavenly father, God. And this parable gives us an idea of how he treats sinners who are seeking him. I mean, these, these are amazing images I mean, before the son even made it back home, the father ran out to meet him. Before the son even opened his mouth, the father was hugging and kissing him. Before the son even finished his apology, the father was lavishing gifts upon him. And before the son could even ask for a job, the father was throwing a party. This represents one of the most unique aspects of the God of the Bible, and that is is grace. This is very difficult for us to understand. See, we understand justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. It's what we always want for somebody else. We understand mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's getting off the hook. But grace is entirely different. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is having gifts lavished upon you despite the fact that you spit in the face of your father. This is an incredible picture that's so unique to any God in the world. Search the planet over, you will find no God like this who instead of giving us what we deserve, which is sin and death, instead he places that upon his own son and the innocent is punished for the guilty and instead we get forgiveness and eternal life. Buddhism and Hinduism teach karma as their answer to this problem, and karma is supposedly this divine evening out system so that if you do bad deeds, then eventually these bad deeds will come back upon you. In various expressions of Catholicism around the world, they teach penance, which is a a voluntary self-punishment for the bad things that you do. And so there's there's places in Mexico where people practice penance by walking across broken glass. There's places in the Philippines where where people practice penance by by getting nailed to a cross. In other works-based religions, the the way that they deal with bad deeds is you just got to do more good deeds. And the fleeting hope is that at the end of this life, you will have tipped the scale just enough on the good side so that God will accept you. But the God of the Bible is different. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. And this grace was on display in living color with these different gifts that the father lavished upon his son. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a closer look at these three gifts that the Father offered. And when we understand them in their entirety, it ought to radically change the way we live. In the process, I want to give you a couple of action steps we could take as a result of these gifts. So let's look at the first one. Let's go back to Luke 15, 20. And it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, excuse me, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. The first gift the father lavished upon the son was a robe. Now, what is the significance of a robe? Well, the first thing was obvious. It needed to cover up his son, especially with what he was wearing. When you consider the outfit of the son, it had to smell terrible. It's probably a mixture of sweat, stale beer, and being around pigs. And when the father draped the robe over him, it was as if he was covering up the stench of his sin. makes me think of those great words from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who was talking about what Jesus would eventually bring to everyone. Isaiah 61.3 He will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. For anyone who places their faith in Jesus, he places over you a garment to cover up your sin, to cover up the stench of what our deeds have brought upon us. But it goes even deeper than that. You see, this robe also had another level of significance. It meant you're part of the family. This was artistically displayed by Rembrandt in his famous painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. I want to take a look at that again and point out to you that Rembrandt uses color in a very intentional way, and you see the the color that pops the most here is the color red. It's first shown by the father who's embracing the son. But if you look off to the far right, There is another man standing there with red. That's the older brother. We'll get into his story next week. But that color shows that they're a part of the same family. Notice who's not wearing red. It's the young man on his knees. That's because he turned his back on his family. He turned in his sonship when he said to his dad, basically, I wish you were dead. And he said to his brother, I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. In fact, you heard it in the words of the son in the story. Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Even he knew it. He knew that, that he broke the ties to the family, which is why he was gonna just beg for a job. He knew that returning the family was off the table. But remember what the God of grace, the father said, verse 24, for this Son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father did not say, this person is a stranger to me. This person is dead to me. This person is a failure. No, he said, this person is my son and he's back. You're a part of the family again. And when you give your life to Christ, you are adopted into his family. Your sins are covered and you have a new family. So what should we do as a response to this kind of gift of grace? If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you should do. You should love like family. In other words, display to the rest of the world how you do things in the family of God. Show the same grace to others that was shown to you. That's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus was, was when he was telling the story, you almost get the sense that he was like a a giddy child bragging about his dad. As he's telling this parable, it's, it's like he was saying, look how amazing my father is. He's unlike anyone you'll ever meet. In fact, Jesus talks so much about his father that one time one of his disciples named Philip challenged him on it. Philip said to him, show us the father. You're always talking about him. You're so close to him, show us the Father. And listen to how Jesus responded. This is John 14:9. Jesus said, "Whoever has seen me has seen the Father." See, God exists as a Trinity, one God in three persons: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He's not three gods. He's not one God with three parts. He's one God with three persons. All working harmoniously together yet carrying out unique roles and one of the unique roles of God the Son Jesus was to take on flesh and give his life as a sacrifice for all of us now with with Jesus what he said to everybody is if you want to see what God looks like look no further you want to know what the heart of God looks like look at Jesus You wanna know what the character of God looks like? Look at Jesus. You wanna know what the grace of God looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus wanted the world to know who the Father is, which is why he lived out this grace. And the challenge for every follower of Jesus is to do the same. Listen to how the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul calls the followers of Jesus beloved children. You're a part of the family, and therefore go be Jesus impersonators. Be imitators of God. Extend the same grace shown to you to the rest of the world. And the parable of the prodigal son gives us a pretty good blueprint for that. I mean, consider the order of events. The son returned to the father. The father ran out to meet him and hugged him and kissed him and embraced him before the son ever even confessed his sins. And I think this has application both for the person who has not given their life to Jesus and for the person who has. And if you're somebody who you've never trusted in Jesus, here's your step. Just come to God. Just take him at his word. Some of us think we've gotta get our lives entirely cleaned up before we can even take a step. No, just, just come to God. We'll sort out all the other details later. Start with your heart. When he has your heart, all the other pieces will fall into place. As for the person who's already trusted in Jesus, here's the question you ought to be wrestling with. How do I show grace for people who are seeking God? You know, here at Sunrise, we've been seeing a rather colorful cast of characters coming through our door. We've seen people who are struggling with gender identity, people in same-sex relationships, we've had people wander in here who are high on meth, people who are homeless, people who are living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, people practicing witchcraft and the occult, and for some reason, they're coming in these doors in search of something. In fact, there's a a gentleman from this church who who was seeing this happen, and and he made the statement, I don't think our church is ready for this. (laughs) When I heard that, I thought, ready for what? To welcome sinners? If we aren't ready to welcome sinners, what the heck are we doing? Being a church that's not ready to welcome sinners is like being a hospital that's not ready to welcome patients. I mean, can you imagine going to the hospital and a doctor says to you, ew, you're sick, gross. (laughs) Can you come back in a couple of weeks after you're better? Friends, if someone comes to a church looking for a solution to the emptiness in our souls, and we think we have the solution, shouldn't we fling the doors wide open? (laughs) It doesn't mean... You put a stamp of endorsement on every sin, it means we know who changes people. His name is Jesus. We want to point you to him. (laughs) Friends, it kind of makes me think of like when when an only child gets the terrible news that his mother is pregnant. (laughs) This is the worst news for an only child, right? I used to have mom and dad's attention and affection all to myself. Now I have to share it with that stinky, screaming thing over there in the crib? This is terrible. You know, I think that for a lot of Christians, we've been in the family of God so long that we've forgotten what it's like to be out of the family of God. At some point in time, all of us were on the outside looking in. At some point in time, we were the prodigal. But because God did not give us what we deserve, instead he put the punishment on Jesus and gave us grace, we got to be a part of the family. And if the father is willing to hug and kiss somebody who's been stinky and in a pig pen, the church better be ready to do the same thing. We need to love like family. So the first gift, a robe. Here's the second gift. Luke 15, 22. the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger. What's the significance of a ring? The ring signified a change of position. There's another example of this in the Old Testament in the life of Joseph. So the Pharaoh of the land was being tormented by this dream and nobody could interpret its meaning. And then Joseph stepped up to the plate and, empowered by God, explained to Pharaoh that this dream actually meant a famine was coming. And Pharaoh was so blown away by Joseph's ability to interpret this dream that he rewarded him handsomely. It's recorded in Genesis chapter 41. This is what it said. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph experienced a change of position. He went from being a prisoner to being the governor. And it was showed by the ring that he had. But it wasn't just any ring. It was Pharaoh's ring. And so what this ring communicated to the rest of the world was that no one can take away from Joseph that which Pharaoh gave to him. So the ring didn't just symbolize a change of position, it also symbolized a seal that nobody can take away from Joseph. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you too receive a change of position. You go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God, but you're also marked with a seal. The Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So at the moment you surrender your life to God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, immediately indwells your life and empowers you, and he also seals you, he marks you, that you belong to God, and nothing or no one can ever take that away. You know, I I say to my kids all the time, there's nothing you can do that would make me stop loving you and nothing you can do that would ever make you stop being my child. I tell them, listen, even if you turn your back on me, even if you become an atheist or you tell me that you're gay or that you never want to be a part of this family, I will never stop loving you and you will always be my child. And so they start to, you know, turn it into some scenarios. Well, what if I burn the whole house down? Okay, I'd be homeless, I'd be angry, but I would still love you and you would still be my child. Okay, what if I punched you in the face, took all your money, and then burned the house down? I'm like, okay, we're getting off course here. The point is that there's nothing that you can do that could ever make me stop loving you or make you stop being my child. And friends, people have debated for centuries if a person can lose their salvation, if they could be saved and then somehow break that tie. And I would say that would be possible if it were not for grace. Because the Apostle Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift from God. So if I cannot earn God's love based on what I do, then why would I be able to lose God's love based on what I can do. His grace is offered to me not because I'm a great guy, not because I've done great things, it's only because he loves me. And he shows me that grace, and so my responsibility is not only to reflect that grace, but also to receive it, and that's signified by the ring. That my position has been changed, and I've been sealed. And so what did Joseph do when he got his ring? He went parading around town, saying, look at my change of position, look at how my life has changed, and I think this is an action step you ought to take if you've placed your faith in Jesus. If you've received this gift of grace the ring, here's what you should do. You gotta tell your story. You gotta let others know something's changed in me. Now, there are a lot of you who carry so much guilt over the life you lived before you gave it to Jesus. And I fully get that when when Christ saves you, He removes your sins, but He does not remove your scars. And there are consequences to our actions, and a lot of times those consequences bring guilt and shame and a whole lot of negative self-talk Maybe you've even echoed back the words to God that the prodigal son said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your child. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. For you to live a life that believes that God's grace is not enough. But one of the best ways to rob the past of its power is to make it public, make it a part of your testimony. Tell the world, I've been changed. I've I've got this whole crazy story, and I've heard some of your stories. Amazing circumstances that God has changed your life. Let somebody know, I'm a different person now. I'm not perfect, but I'm not the person I used to be. I have a change of position. I'm a child of God now. Now, I think there's a whole lot of others of you who you struggle with this because you think, well, I don't have much of a story. It's like we view testimonies in sizes, Small, medium, and large. You know, a large testimony would be something like, you know, I was such a notorious bank robber. I was so good at stealing money that Netflix made a true crime documentary about my life. I was running with celebrities. I married a Kardashian. I divorced a Kardashian. I married a different Kardashian. And then I got caught. I lost all my money. And I was right about to jump off of a bridge, but Billy Graham was walking by, and he grabbed the hood of my coat, pulled me back on, led me to the Lord, and here I am. What's your testimony? Like, oh, uh, me? Oh gosh. Uh, well, I was nine, and my teacher in church presented the gospel, and I said yes to Jesus. That's it. No gangs, no prison, no drugs. That's it. Yeah, I just said yes to Jesus. Friend, listen to me. Any story about the father showing grace to a lost child is a powerful one. The most amazing thing you could say is I was dead, but because of Jesus, I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was empty, but now I've been filled. I was in the kingdom of darkness, but because of God's grace, I'm now in the kingdom of light. If Jesus is your savior, you've got a story. Tell somebody! Let them know your position has changed. Let them know you're a child of God. The first gift was a robe. The second gift was a ring. Here's the third gift, Luke 15, 22. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Shoes have a lot of significance in the scriptures. It's how people in the Old Testament made covenants. People would remove them when they were standing in in holy ground. But I think the shoes in this case are something a little bit different. I think this was really beautifully portrayed once again in Rembrandt's painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Look at how he painted the shoes on on the boy when he returned. I think we have a picture of it. Those shoes were probably shiny and new when the son left the father's house. But the long journey from the far country back home had left the shoes tattered and torn. Who knows how many times this boy fell along the road because it was just too painful to take another step. But when he got a new pair of shoes, he was able to rise up and walk again. And anyone who's given their life to Christ has received this gift of grace, these new shoes, And so what should be your response? It's time to walk in victory. You see, the grace of God doesn't just save you from your past, it equips you for the future so that you can go forward in victory, no longer feeling the pain of the jagged rocks of life. I love how David expressed these words The Old Testament, Psalm 18, when he said, It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. David wrote this while he was on the run from an enraged king who was chasing him down with a full army. David understood the importance of good shoes because he needed them to sidestep and get away from all of the snares that the king was trying to set for him. And when you receive Christ into your life, you get a pair of shoes that allows you to do the same thing to sidestep the snares that once caught you. These shoes give you the power to leave the far country and all the bad choices and the bad people that brought you to the place of desperation these shoes represent God's power in your life to say no to temptation. With these shoes, with God's grace, you don't have to drink it. You don't have to smoke it. You don't have to eat it. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to answer his text. You don't have to call her back. You don't have to visit that site. You actually already have the power to walk away from the things that once ensnared you. Because the grace of God doesn't just save you from your past, but it equips you for your future. God is with you every step of the way, even though you and I don't deserve it. These three gifts are an amazing picture of God's grace. The reality is this, there's actually a fourth gift and if you blinked, you might have missed it. And the fourth gift might be the most important one of them all. Look at Luke 15, 23, the father said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. There's a reason why calves were fattened. They were being prepared for a special occasion. And in, in the Bible times, priests would sacrifice an animal as a temporary atonement for sins because something had to die in order for our sins to be paid for. And as Jesus was telling the, prodigal of, uh, telling the parable of the prodigal son, the people listening didn't even realize that when Jesus got to this section about the fattened calf, he was talking about himself. See, Jesus was being prepared for a special occasion to be slaughtered as a permanent atonement for sins. See, something had to die for our sins to be paid for. Turns out that something was someone, and his name is Jesus. I began this message by putting you in a scenario. You were drunk driving, and you crashed your car against a tree, and now it's just you and the police officer, and he's making his decision of how he's going to treat you. And let's say that he decides on justice. So he slaps some cuffs on you, brings you to prison, and tells you you're going to pay a huge fine, and you're going to lose your license for a year. Justice is getting what we deserve. But let's say he decides to show mercy. The police officer says, look, nobody got hurt, so this is what I'm going to do. Instead of driving you to jail, I'm going to drive you back home and let you off this time. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But let's say he decides to show grace. And what he says to you is, someone has to pay for what you did. So the police officer says, I'm gonna go to jail for you. I'm gonna pay your fine for you. I'm gonna have my license suspended instead of yours. And then on top of that, hands you the keys to his brand new car and says, this is yours. That's grace. And this is the same kind of grace that God freely offers all who place their faith in Jesus. See, Jesus died in our place so that we wouldn't have to face the penalty of our sins. Instead, God put it upon his own son. And when you place your faith in him an exchange takes place, he gets all of our wrongness and we get all of his rightness or righteousness. And the rightness of Jesus is greater than the wrongness of our sins. Have you ever received this grace? Like the prodigal son, have you ever just cried out to God and said, I got myself into a mess and I can't get myself out of it. So Jesus, I believe in faith that you're the only one who could save me. I want to commit to following you. If you've never intentionally prayed a prayer like that, I want to help you do that right here and right now. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a prayer that you could repeat after me in the silence of your heart. These are just empty words unless you believe them in faith. So if you're ready to receive this grace, I want to invite everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the silence of your own heart, I want you to lift these words straight up to heaven. Father, I give you my life. You pray that to God. Father, I give you my life. I can't save myself. But I believe you love me and sent Jesus to die in my place. I ask for forgiveness of all my sins. I invite you into my life change this prodigal heart so I could leave my old ways behind and live like I'm a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, we want to encourage you, let somebody know, here's an easy way to do that. On your program when you came in, there's just a simple little perforated card. And at the bottom is a box that says, I said yes to Jesus. You fill that out and check that box. and In just a second, ushers are going to come around to collect today's offering. You could just drop this card right in there. One of our staff people will get that follow-up with you and help you understand what it means to begin this new journey with Jesus. Maybe you've already made that decision, but you're, you're just not growing. We want to help you take your next step. Here's how to do that. Grab your phone right now and text the number 909-281-7797. Just type in the word next. This is our sunrise number. You could program this into your phone. One of our staff people will exchange some messages with you and help you take that next step. Maybe it's joining a small group or getting involved in the church or talking with somebody about your questions or a different kind of assistance. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or you could stop by the Next Step table out in our lobby, and you can have a face-to-face conversation with somebody today on how you could take your next step. The father showed his love in powerful ways by running out and meeting his son. And the ironic thing is, the son abandoned his father so he could go party. But when he returned to his father, what happened? They had a party. And the party was big and the party was loud. And the older son found out about it. It Says this in Luke 15, 25. Now his older son was in the field And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And when this older son learned that his scoundrel of a brother returned, he was furious. That's where we're going to pick things up next week. So if you know someone who's ever struggled with how God could treat somebody who did so many bad things so well, but seemingly overlook those who do good things then you ought to invite them to come to church with you next week and hear this message. Until then, let's remember God's gifts of grace. Let's love like family. Let's tell our story. And let's walk in victory. Let's show the world that we have a Father who makes a comeback possible, a God of grace who makes it, every single one of us, able to say with confidence, I was lost but now I'm found. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. (laughs) Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. Not a single one of us in here deserves any of it. Yet even in our mess, you run out to meet us, and you give us a robe and a ring and shoes, but most of all, you give us your son. And Father, I say thank you for not giving me what I deserve, which is sin and death, but instead you give me life and eternity and hope and power. And I pray for anybody in here who's never received this grace, that they would not leave this place until they've experienced your amazing, incredible, gracious love. And as we prepare to give our gifts of offering, I pray that this act of worship of our generosity would be one that is pleasing to you and one that you use to make your name known all throughout the city and all throughout this world. Lord God, we thank you for not leaving us alone as orphans and powerless, but instead you come to meet us as your father, as our father. You've given us everything we need through Jesus. We thank you for his spirit. And all we say is thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. We love you and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then somebody say, Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I wanna encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by some time and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.